Father in heaven, thank you so much for this time that we have to study together this evening. Thank you, Lord, for your watch care over us, for your blessings upon us, and especially for these holy Sabbath hours. Lord, as we're about to open your word to study, I pray that you'd please guide us with your spirit. Lead us into all truth, O Father, and bless us that we might know how to apply these lessons and the, the word that we're about to read. We, know, we, we may know how to apply this to our lives this evening. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus' encounter with John the Baptist. We're going to go to our first text this evening found in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 2. Now when John had heard in the prison, and this is John the Baptist, when he had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. Now why was John in prison? I mean, what was he doing there? He was a free man for so long and all of a sudden we find that he's ended up in prison and he, he sends two of his disciples to go look for Jesus. But before we get there, Let's look at the reason why John was in prison in the first place. In Mark chapter 6, verse 17 and 18, the Bible says this, For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother's wife, for he had married her. For John had said unto Herod, It is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Why did he end up in prison? Because you see, Herod had committed adultery, fornication against his brother by marrying his wife, Herodias. You know, friends, when you do God's work, you have to be brave. You got to have a backbone. You got to be willing to speak the truth in spite of the consequences and no matter who you are speaking it to. And, you know, God allowed John the Baptist to be imprisoned. Following God and doing His will is always, is not always, pardon me, a bed of roses. It requires a sacrifice. And in this case, John, in a sense, got in trouble for preaching the truth. You know, we see this throughout the Bible. Joseph, he was an honest man. And because of his honesty and integrity, he ended up in prison. Paul, I mean, when you study about 1st and 2nd Corinthians, you will find a long list of what he went through just because he was faithful. He was imprisoned, he was stoned, he was whipped, all sorts of things. He was shipwrecked. Even King David, who had done nothing wrong, he had been anointed a king secretly, but because of the jealousy of Saul, he had to run for his life. He was a fugitive, even though he had been faithful to God. He was a man after God's own heart. You know, friends, when we follow God, many times, many times, we can also have many trials, not because we did anything wrong, but because we were faithful. And this is what happened with John the Baptist. So John's in prison and he sends two of his disciples to go and seek out Jesus. He wants to ask Jesus something through his disciples. What is it? Matthew chapter 11 and verse 3. And said unto him, Art thou he that should come? Or do we look for another? What was John the Baptist asking? He was asking if Jesus really was the promised Messiah or should they go and look for a different person? Now look, why would John the Baptist ask 
such a thing. I mean, John, he was meant to be full of faith, right? He was the forerunner of Christ. He was the one that declared himself that Jesus was the Lamb that taketh away the sin of the world. He also was the one that baptized Jesus and saw with his own eyes the Holy Spirit descending like a dove and coming down upon Jesus Christ. And he heard that voice from heaven declaring that this is my son. So why did John the Baptist seem like he was doubting that Jesus was the Messiah? Are you the one that we're waiting for or should we go look for another? You see, people were expecting to, for Jesus or at least the Messiah to set up a, a government that would conquer the Romans and to liberate the Jews, to be their own independent nation again, and to be able to go out and fight the battles of God like they did in the Old Testament. That's what they were looking for. And so John, he's in prison and he's doubting. Is Jesus really the one? I mean, if Jesus really was the Messiah, you know, he... he he should be coming to the prison to save me, right? He should be setting me free. Why isn't he coming to help me? After all, John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin as well. So they were linked in many ways in the work and through family as well. But John, he began to doubt because he was in prison. He had too much time to, to think. He was stuck there. And be, he began to be down on himself and pity himself and just start thinking, of self. You know, that's like us so often, isn't it, friends? When, when anything bad happens to us, we begin to doubt God. We begin to question God. We begin to get angry at God. And why? Because He doesn't help us. We have this misconception and misunderstanding of God. When we go through trials and temptations, when we lose our job or lose some money or, or we get sick, you know, we just about lose our religion, isn't it? We misunderstand God and we, we forget, like John, what God is like. The sun rises on the good and the bad, friends. It rains on the good and the bad. And we forget stories like Job, where God allowed trial to come upon his life. We just expect good at the hands of God. And we never realize that God sometimes stands back and, and through the, the mysterious workings of His will, we don't see beyond that and we begin to question and we misunderstand Him. So John's disciples, they come and ask Jesus this question, and how does Jesus respond to these disciples? Well, at first, Jesus actually does not respond. Look at this, Luke chapter 7 and verse 21. And in that same hour, he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits. And unto many that were blind, he gave sight. Jesus actually continues his work that he was probably doing before those disciples got there to ask him that question. He goes about healing those that were sick, who those who had evil spirits and those that were blind. Matthew chapter 11, verse 4 and 5 says this, Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. 
you know, I don't know if Jesus really did that in one sitting or in one hour, or maybe he did that throughout the whole day. But after he's done with healing those that were sick and that were blind, Jesus turns around and he gives his attention back to John's disciples. He told them to do what? Go back and tell John simply what they saw with their own eyes. Give the personal testimony of what you saw. What did they see? The Bible said what? The blind received their sight. Well, let, let, let's go back to the text. The lame were walking again. The lepers were cleansed. The deaf could hear. The dead were resurrected. The poor heard the gospel preached to them. You know, friends, they simply saw the good works of Jesus, healing people and preaching the gospel to everybody. What good works were these? I mean, why, why was Jesus telling him or telling the disciples, go back and tell John what you saw? You see, in the works that he did, did you see anything there of a political nature? Did it seem like he was recruiting an army or making a speech to gather funds to go and fund an army from Egypt or from the surrounding nations? Nothing of that sort, right? It doesn't seem like Jesus was trying in any way to set up an earthly kingdom where he would be king. Jesus, in performing these works, he was trying to remind John of the true mission of the Messiah. He was trying to pierce the gloom of the dungeon that John was in and remind him that what he was thinking was not correct. What he was thinking earlier was correct, that he really was the Messiah and that he had just simply misunderstood or forgotten, pardon me, forgotten what the true mission of the Messiah would be. You know, some of the, the, the prophecies in the Old Testament, it's mingled. Christ, yes, he's coming as King of kings and Lord of lords. He, he's the almighty God, the Prince, right, of peace. But in there, it also has texts like this in the Old Testament. Isaiah 61 and verse 1, look at this. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He hath sent me to blind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. You see, when you look at this prophecy of the Messiah in the Old Testament, nowhere in this prophecy does it foretell of Messiah coming as a king to conquer the whole world. God's Spirit would come down on the chosen one to preach, to heal. And maybe, you know, John, he read the last part. Do you, do you, do you remember looking at, at that last part? He maybe read the last part of the verse where it said the Messiah would open the prison to those that were bound. And here John was sitting in prison and Jesus wasn't helping him. And so he began to doubt. Doubt that Jesus was actually the Messiah when he had so much evidence already that he actually was. John was the one that, that saw the Spirit of God descend like a dove on Jesus after he baptized him. Look at this. In John 1.32, John bare record saying what? I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. 
It's just that in the gloom of that dungeon, when he had time to think of his own life, he had just forgotten what the Old Testament, uh, Testament prophecies had pointed forward to about the coming Messiah. Remember, all they had was the Old Testament. The New Testament was not written yet, but it was in the Old Testament that it would make clear not just when Messiah would come, but the nature of his coming. It was a virgin birth. And not just that, but the work that he would do when he came. Look at this in Isaiah 42 and verses 6 through 8. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thine hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people, for a light of the Gentiles, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison. There, there that verse is about prisoners coming out of prison again. And them that sit in darkness out of the prison house, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to graven images. So we have all these prophecies in the Old Testament about the work of the Messiah, and John had forgotten. Not only had he seen the Spirit of God descend clearly upon Jesus with his own eyes, when he baptized him, he heard the voice, but he'd forgotten the Old Testament prophecies. So Christ, he, he does not come outright and tell the disciples, yes, I am the Messiah. Rather, he did the works that lined up with the Old Testament of what the Bible said that the Messiah would do. He reminded John again that he was, without saying it in so many words, truly the Messiah. And you know, friends, this is really interesting because Jesus could have just said, yes, I'm the Messiah. Please go back and tell John that. He doesn't do that. He goes and just does all the works and he just tells the disciples, tell John what you have seen. That's it. Just tell John what you have seen, what I did. Why? Because only those that were students of the Word of God would be able to discern what that meant. We don't even know if the disciples of John the Baptist understood what it meant because they were still disciples of John. I mean, if, if I found out that this was the Messiah, I would quickly go and become his disciple, even though I was a disciple of John, isn't it? So even those disciples were probably misunderstanding the Old Testament prophecies. Excuse me. But you see, John's disciples were not the only ones. There were other people that were standing around Christ, and yet the other bystanders did not discern it as well. They obviously were not students of the Word. Many were just glad to be healed, and some had probably just come to see a few miracles. You see that? But Jesus ends his little talk with the disciples of John with this in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 6. And blessed is he, whosoever shall not be offended in me. You know, John is feeling offended, obviously, because Jesus isn't helping him. It's just his human self that's rising up. But Jesus sends this gentle message of rebuke to John and asks him to maintain his faith in him. John had it correct. He had not misunderstood. Jesus Christ, whom John had baptized, really was the Messiah, but in the gloom of the dungeon. 
he'd begun to doubt a little. So Christ sends his message of gentle rebuke, but also a message of comfort. And it would be this message that would strengthen John to hold on and endure because John the Baptist would never come out of the dungeon. He would eventually be beheaded by Herod because of the hatred that Herodias had toward him. So that was, how should I say, it was, it was a message of comfort even. Just go tell John what I saw. But tell him not to be offended as well. Not to be offended when I don't let him out of prison. Friends, do you get offended when Christ doesn't come to your help? Do you get offended when he doesn't help you? You know, I, I hear of different stories. Oh, Christ didn't help me with a job. I was out without a job for one year. And now I get this job and I go to work on the Sabbath. I'm going to take it because Christ didn't help me. Well, you still got to be faithful, right? Well, I, I sold my house because I wanted to move out to another country and, and God's not helped me sell my house. And so people get angry at him and want to leave. But don't you understand that sometimes not being able to sell your house is an answer to that as well? The problem is not that we, don't get, off- that, that we get offended when Christ doesn't answer. It's we get offended when, when Christ answers and we're not happy with the answer. You know, John, he, he was just asking. Do you understand that? He'd been in the dungeon and Christ didn't give him an answer. Of, of course, that was an answer in and of itself. But he just wanted to make sure because he didn't let go of Christ. He still held on. He just had to double check. And Christ gave him that clear answer. John, I am the Messiah. Just trust me. And you know, after John's disciples, they they leave to go back with a message for John. Jesus turns to the rest of the crowd and he talks to them about John. He talks to everybody who is witnessing this encounter that, that they must think, oh, John the Baptist, you're failing in your faith. John, you've done something seriously wrong, you know. And so just in case these people might might get an idea to misunderstand the importance of John and the greatness of John. Look at what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verses 7 to 11. And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. You know, Jesus, he was praising who John the Baptist was. Just in case people misunderstood about who John was, Christ had to set it right. Yes, he had a bit of doubt, a moment of stumbling. But but even though the disciples came questioning, and that question was from John, and that question showed doubt, it seemed like John's faith was wavering, but Christ made it clear. John, he was a prophet. Yea, he was more than a prophet. He was the greatest of all of them. 
even though Christ had to gently rebuke John, it did not change anything as to who John was and his calling. Jesus does not give anywhere else a more glowing praise and adoration of a person in all the Bible. It wasn't in the hearing of John the Baptist, of course. Christ had to make sure that his disciples left first so that the pride did not get to John's heart in those last moments in prison. But Jesus called John more than a prophet. And then he also said of John in verse 11, Among those that are born of a woman, there is no one greater than John the Baptist. And you know, friends, this is a comforting thought. Why? You would have thought that someone like John the Baptist, who, who, who preached so fearlessly, who was the forerunner of Christ. He was the one that pointed out Jesus in the crowd saying, there's a Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. You would have thought that someone who prepared all their life for ministry would have never doubted Christ as the Messiah, that his faith would not even waver for a second. And it's not that, you know, we look for excuses to doubt. I'm not trying to comfort us like, hey, friends, it's okay to doubt. That's not what I'm saying. And, and to lower our standard of faith in someone in the Bible, no, friends. But Christ was the one who said of John the Baptist that he was the greatest of all prophets, even right after he rebuked him. And it just goes to show that Christ was acquainted with the human heart. He understands what we go through, the struggles in the flesh. And it was for this reason that he, Jesus, came to the earth. You know, though John was doubtful, he was not like how many of us react in going back to our old life of sin. When something doesn't go our way and we get stressed out or we get annoyed and we are questioning God, we, we tend to go back to our old lives, but not John. And, you know, John, he just needed to be sure. He was really just asking Jesus, how come you aren't coming to take me out of prison? Why aren't you coming to help me? And though he was doubtful, he waited for the disciples to come back to him with an answer. And the answer that Christ gave him would be sufficient. It would be enough to strengthen him in this last trial, to help him to hold on to Jesus Christ as the promised Savior of the world. You know, friends, there is one interesting point that this, that's made at the end of this passage. And that's what we read here in Matthew 11, though. Jesus, he's singing the praises of John the Baptist. He's the greatest of all prophets. He's more than a prophet. And at the very end, look at what Christ throws in there in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 11. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. He that is what? Least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, what does Jesus mean by that? I mean, John is the greatest, right? Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than him. So is John the greatest or not? What, what, what does this mean? This text is a bit confusing. You see, friends, the text can be read this way, though. Those that are least in the kingdom of heaven. Where? In the kingdom of heaven, 
will be greater than John the Baptist. And it's not because they're greater in accomplishments or greater in courage or greater in character or moral worth. Notice what the Bible text says. He that is least where? In the kingdom of heaven. Look, those that make it into the kingdom of heaven will be greater than John the Baptist. Why? Because John was at the door of the kingdom of heaven. He was still on earth. He was looking in. And whilst those that are in there are already greater than him. Does that make sense? Those that are in heaven already compared to John on earth. That's the comparison that Christ is making. And that's the thing, friends. We got to make sure that we make it to the kingdom of heaven, right? We got to make sure that we're there. I mean, Jesus gives this glowing praise of John the Baptist, and I'm sure that he will be there on the resurrection morning. I am sure that John died a saved man. And so if we want to be greater than him, and we want to be in the kingdom of heaven one day, we got to make sure that at the least, we are like John the Baptist. And so let's go back to the description that Christ gives of John the Baptist, okay? Let's go to the description that helps us to understand the sort of person that we need to be, the sort of life that we need to live if we want to be like John the Baptist. Matthew 11 verse 7, As they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? You see, John was not a reed shaken with the wind. That's why Jesus asked this question. It's a rhetorical question. We know the answer already. He stood firm as a rock. No wind blew John over. Yes, he may have had a, had a seed of doubt, but it was plucked out at the very root at the very end there. But you see, what does wind represent in the Bible? Let's go to Ephesians 4.14. The Bible says this, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, and carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Did you see that? What does the wind represent there? It's winds of doctrine. We got to make sure that if we are to be like John, we're not blown by every wind. We're not blown by, by fables of men and, and even false interpretations of, of Scripture that men place upon it, that we follow Jesus truly, that we understand His mission truly. And John at the very end did, though he misunderstood it for a little while. He sent his disciples to go and check. And so should it be for us as well. If we misunderstand the scriptures or we, we listen to a preacher and we don't agree with what they're saying, before you throw it off, go back and study the scriptures to make sure you know what the Bible is truly teaching. John, he was not shaken or blown over by the wind. But what else does wind represent in the Bible? In Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 27, the Bible says this, When your fear cometh as a desolation, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you. You see, what does wind represent in the Bible? Desolation and destruction. It's as if when everything goes bad in your life at one go at the same time, that is the sort of winds that blow many people over. Things don't go well in their lives, they leave Christ. Trials come up, they leave Christ. 
We have many reasons as to why we leave Christ all the time. But John, no matter what he went through, even when he was in prison, he was questioning, but he never let go of Christ. It's like this, friends, when when you're going through trials, just like Job, Job shouted out, why God, why God? He didn't know the reason why, but he never let go his hold on Christ. Do you see that? And so, so it is is with John the Baptist. Friends, if we are to be like John the Baptist, let's learn to overcome the trials. Let's learn not to blame God for the trials. Let's learn to praise God for all the trials. We can have all joy, James chapter 1 tells us, right? We can count it all joy. We can hold on. We can know that Christ is with us. We can still learn to be faithful when we have these trials. That's the first thing. He wasn't shaken by the wind. But what else characterized who John was? In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus also says this, But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. You know, John, he was not dressed like kings or queens in the palace. He did not wear extravagant clothing or the latest fashion of which the, of which the ultra-rich wear just to show off. He didn't wear a big gold chain about his neck. He lived a humble life. And his lifestyle was simple. His mode of dressing was simple. Why? His priorities was different. He was focused on giving the gospel message a certain sound. He was the voice crying in the wilderness to prepare the way for the first coming of the Messiah. He knew his mission and everything else was secondary to that. If we are to be greater than John the Baptist, friends, we got to be able to overcome those trials that God allows to come our ways. We've got to not blame God. We've got to hold on and, and thank God in spite of these trials and, and still be faithful to Him. But we got to learn also to live a humble life. What does that really mean, friends? I mean, do we have to really dress really uh, 10 years ago sort of fashion or 100 years ago sort of fashion? I'm not saying that, friends. But we got to use our means in the proper respect. Or saying it differently, we got to love Jesus and not the world. The love of the world and the love of Christ cannot coexist together. A man or woman cannot be saved loving Jesus and loving the world as well. Christ says you will either love one and hate the other or you cleave to the other or cleave to one and despise the other. These two cannot exist in our lives at the same time. And I'm not saying that you gotta go out there and wear a camel skin and, and get a, a, a leather belt and that's it, you know? But we gotta learn to live a simple life, friends. We gotta live a learn to live a simple life like that of John the Baptist. If we are to make it to heaven. In the future, simple is the key word. Simple in diet, simple in dress, simple in our faith. It's written there. You believe it. That's it. He that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. You know, friends, 
There is much that we can learn from John the Baptist. He did have a simple diet. He lived in the country and he gave him that simple mindset. And I think that's so important for so many of us today as well. There is much that we can learn. But from the two descriptions that Jesus gave us, if we want to be greater than John the Baptist, we got to learn to mimic his priorities, his values, his lifestyle. And so in conclusion, you know, friends, I want to remind you that sometimes we might have a misunderstanding of what the Bible says. And in fact, I believe that many of us, we misunderstand who God is. We think that God is just blessing and that's it. He just blesses us. It's what we call the prosperity gospel. If you come to church, God will bless you. If you put money in the the offering bag, God will bless you. And we just expect blessings from Him. What, should we only expect blessings and not trials as well? It's through the trials that God refines our character and our lives, isn't it? we got to remember that there is a purpose for the trials. There's a purpose for the difficult situations in life that we go through. So let's not forget how God leads us, how He refines us, how He guides each and every one of our lives. And so this evening, friends, if you are going through a trial, if you're going through a difficult situation, and you're wondering where God is in all of this, you're wondering, God, why did this come upon me? I was eating healthy. Why did I get cancer? I was doing this, I was doing that. And and God, why did you allow this to come upon me? Friends, I want to remind you that in the questioning, make sure you hold on to God until He gives you the answer. And he, if He doesn't give you the answer this side of heaven, rest assured, you will understand it. When the, the dark glass is taken away and you'll be able to see clearly when you will see Jesus face to face. There are some questions, friends, we might not have answered this side of heaven. And so I'm asking you this evening to hold on. Don't let your faith waver. Go back to the Word of God. Search the Scriptures. See the works of Jesus with your own eyes. And rest assured, He will strengthen your faith and He will give you joy. He will give you hope. He will give you courage to face every trial that comes your way. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I want to thank you for giving us this story and this example of John the Baptist. Lord, I pray that you would please help us. Forgive us if we've misunderstood you, where we've thought that maybe we we only should get blessings and that no trials should come upon us anymore. Forgive us, Lord, where we've complained and where we've been tempted to let our, our, our hold on you to be released. But Father, help us this evening to understand that Sometimes these trials, we we might not even find an answer to them this side of heaven. So help us this evening to to be resolute in our purpose, to hold on to you until the very end, no matter what happens to us. And so, Father, for those that are going through trials, I pray that you would strengthen them in this time, that you would guide them, O Lord, that you would be with them. Lord, please, be with all my brothers and sisters out there this evening. Help us to rejoice in you, that though you slay us, yet we will trust you. This is my earnest plea, O Lord, 
And may you please guide us and fill us with the double portion of your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.